Uh, if someone had asked me 20 years ago, I don't think I could have predicted just how much I have followed in my father's footsteps. Um, I, don't, I don't mean what I do for a living. My father was never a pastor or an engineer. Uh, I don't do what my father did for a living. But I do what my father did with almost all of the rest of his time. Um, I follow my children around the house, turning off lights and begging them to stop fighting. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. I have followed in his footsteps in that way. I think 40% of the job description of every parent is begging your children to stop fighting. My, my wife and I went out with some good friends this week. We went and saw the Oilers and the Sabres in Buffalo. It was awesome. We hadn't left the house for 10 minutes. 10 minutes after we left the house, we get a text from my daughter. And it's a picture of her hand. And her hand is all scratched up like she had had like a fight. Like she had lost a fight with a cat. Right? Now, let me make absolutely clear. We do not own a cat. And we will never own a cat. Uh, because we um, love Jesus. So we, we will not ever, but her hand is all like scratched and scraped and bloody. And the, the text underneath says, I just wanted you to see what my sister did to me when I borrowed her computer charger. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So the next morning we got home, they were on bed. The next morning I, I, I dealt with it, right? I, the next morning I get the girls around and I said, listen. You are each other's future best friends. You have to learn how to stop fighting about stupid stuff. Okay, can we do that? And they, my message registered and I went upstairs to take a shower. I came back downstairs to find one sister punching the other one in the stomach because she had the audacity to reach for a box of cereal. Parenting at times is the least gratifying thing a human being can do. To watch your wisdom being rejected in real time, it's quite a thing. But then as I thought about it, the, you know what I realized? That these people are by nature and by nurture nothing other than me replicated in some form and stripped of all of the pretense and the savvy that pretends that I'm not actually like that. What I realized is that what they were putting on display is the truth about who I am in its rawest form in my heart. And the question that sort of erupted for me in my spirit as I was reflecting on this is what is it inside of me that allows me just like them to behave in that way to explode in selfishness and fight with the people that I love that is the question that haunts James in the text that we're going to look at this morning in James chapter 4 starting in verse 1 if you have a bible or a bible app on your phone or whatever James chapter 4 starting in verse 1 um, we've been in this series called finding your voice and we've been talking about the kinds of people who ought to become voices of spiritually significant influence in our lives and in our community or 
framed another way. We've been talking about what it would look like for us to become the kind of people who should have voices of spiritually significant influence in other people's lives and in the community. And in the series, James has really so far been describing two different kinds of people. Now, I suspect there, there are more than two kinds of people in the world. Um, there are, these are people who live at either end of a spectrum. At one end are the people that we talked about last week that James would describe as pure. People who are single-mindedly devoted to loving God. People, I, this is how I described them last week, people who are gentle. They're lovers and not fighters. They respond graciously and everything. They're thoughtful and open-minded. They're gentle. They're generous. Their heart breaks over the brokenness in the world, and they're always willing to jump in the gap and to meet the need in whatever way that they can. But not only are they gentle and generous, they're genuine. They live with this non-judgmental, non-discriminating, unconditional love where they love everybody the same, no matter what. It's just this genuine love. And they live with this genuine integrity. They are who they say they are. They do what they say they'll do. Their beliefs and their behaviors align. They're the same person that they claim to be. They're the the genuine article. They're gentle and generous and genuine. And James says, these are the people from whom you can receive wisdom from God. But at the other end of the spectrum are people that James, I think, would describe as selfish. Um, they're people who are motivated by bitter envy and selfish ambition. They they are jealous of and angry at people who have the positions, the possessions, the popularity that they crave for themselves. And they have developed this ambition to get it for themselves. They want to, in, in the context of the, of the book, they want to be the people who are right and who get their way all the time. And they will stop at nothing in order to achieve it. The two ends of the spectrum. And of course, no one in this room is either one or the other. The question is not which one are you. The question is where are you on the spectrum? And more importantly, which way are you moving? Because James today moves beyond the description of the kinds of people who, have, who uh, compete for spiritual influence in the community. He moves beyond the description to a diagnosis, to looking into the heart, or to our hearts, to our souls, to our, into our spirits, to discover what it is that makes us one or the other of those kinds of people, or what moves us in one direction or the other. And for James, if you want to become a person of spiritually significant influence, he says, you have to start in the heart. This is what he says in James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the, your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. 
James says what, what lies behind all of this behavior that we've been talking about, what lies behind it are the desires that battle within you, that battle in your heart. The, the word desire in the Greek language is the Greek word hedone. Um, it's where we get the English word hedonism. The word means um, the, the pursuit of, the, the uh, identification or the longing for, the desire for, and the pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment and delight. Essentially, hedone is that part of you that knows exactly what you want and is unafraid to go out and get it. Now, obviously, once I've used a word like hedonism, the word hedone kind of sounds like it's tainted with an inherent sinfulness. And if you um, don't believe me, you know, go look up the hedonism resort on the internet and you will see what I mean. Please don't do that. That is not a wise decision. Um, but for us, the idea of hedonism comes tainted with you know, this idea of sinfulness, that you're pursuing sinful desires. And that's not, that's not necessarily the case. The word desire itself is neutral, just like in English. The word desire is neutral. You can desire good things or bad things. And the, the difference between good desires and bad desires, I think, are a couple of characteristics of the desire. I would name three for starts. Number one, is the desire worthy? Right? I desire to make a bajillion dollars. I desire to have a zillion followers on social media. Um, these are not worthy desires. Secondly, are you entitled to the desire? You can desire something that is worthy, but not be entitled to it. I desire so-and-so's spouse. I desire my boss's job. Well, guess what? I am not entitled to those things. And so my desire of a worthy thing becomes illegitimate, becomes a bad desire. Um, is it worthy? Are you, uh, are you eligible for it, entitled to it? And number three, what is the manner in which you are going about it? You can desire a worthy thing that you're entitled to, but go about it in a way that completely lacks integrity or character. In order to achieve the thing that I desire, I have to stab my friend in the back. I have to slander a coworker. Well, those are that is not a legitimate desire. And so what James says is, you know, there are two there are two kinds of desires. There are good desires and there are bad desires. And the bad desires are what happens when we desire something that isn't worthy, when we desire something that we're not entitled to, or when we pursue the desire in a way that lacks character. And in those instances, what starts out as a neutral desire becomes sin. Um in a book, a, a Jewish writing that James would have been familiar with, the book of Maccabees, this is what it says about desire. It says, in pleasure, that's the same word, in desire, there exists even a sinister tendency, which is the most complex of all the emotions. In the soul, it is boastfulness, covetousness, thirst for honor, rivalry, malice. James says, even the most, or um, Maccabee says, even the most innocent desire, even a good desire, has a poison pill embedded in it. 
It has a sinister tendency. Even good desires can become malformed when they begin to nurture in the soul boastfulness, covetousness, a thirst for honor, rivalry, or malice. You can see how desire gets tainted by sinfulness. And at that moment, it begins to wage war in your soul. James says the desires that battle within you. Um, So the question, it seems, at the foundation of everything is, what is it that you desire? What is it that you're living for? What do you want more than anything out of life? We kind of got at this a little bit last week when uh, we were led in worship through a reflection on that slide, if you were here, where on the one side it listed things that could be called success and then the other side it listed things that could be called uh, significance. And the question we were asked to reflect on is, what are we living for? This is the kind of thing, what is the, what is the desire that sits in your heart? What is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that you want most? Because what James is criticizing in the people who are desiring to be spiritually significant voices of influence in the community, what he's criticizing in them is the nature of their desire. He says, your problem is your desire is unworthy. What you want is position and possession and popularity. You want to be significant and important more than you want godly wisdom, more than you want to be God's person. Your desire is unworthy. You're not entitled to it. Because you are motivated by bitter envy and selfish ambition. You are not motivated by godly motivations. And thirdly, he says, you are going about it in a way that lacks character and integrity. You are slandering people, saying all sorts of destructive things, using your, your voice in, uh, in harmful, hurtful ways. You are arrogantly opinionated and arrogantly argumentative. And you're, you're just a destructive force that leaves behind in your wake disruption disorder, disunity, and division. That's James's criticism. He says it all starts with the nature of your desire. Because as soon as your desire becomes something that is less than pure, now what desire does is it destroys relationships. That's the fruit of illegitimate desire. It destroys relationship. He starts by saying what causes fights and quarrels among you. The word fights um, literally in the Greek means it refers to any kind of fight without a weapon. So picture, if you will, a sister who has scratched her sister's hand all to pieces. Picture one sister punching another sister in the stomach. That's fighting. But it could also mean sort of a, a heated verbal conflict. It's any way of fighting that doesn't include weapons. The word quarrels actually includes weapons. It's the, it's the word for war, um, which can be used metaphorically and literally in Greek, just like in English. It describes a prolonged and protracted conflict between two parties or tribes or factions that involves a series of attacks 
because they are engaged in a sustained antagonism or hostility to each other. James says this is what's going on in the community right now. You have groups and divisions and factions and you're hostile towards each other and you're attacking each other and you're fighting with each other and it's it's sheer ugliness. And it's all birthed out of the illegitimate desire that you're nurturing in your heart. He says you, you desire... But you can, you do not have, you covet, and you do not get what you want. What happens when you desire, but you can't have? I'll tell you what happens. This frustration is ignited and can rage within you. When you desire, but do not have, you're faced with a choice In the midst of that frustration, you can either find a way to say, well, I guess that wasn't for me, or at least not for now, and take a step back from your desire, or you can find someone to blame. Point a finger, right? There's the person who got what was rightfully mine. There's the person who has what I want and they won't share it with me or give it to me. There's the person who got in my way, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and they're the reason I didn't get what I want. And that person becomes the target of this raging frustration and you attack them because this frustration leads to violence. Right? The, the most surprising word in these verses is the word kill. You, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Really? You kill? Is that what you mean, James? You kill? I, I think it's been weeks since somebody has killed another person in our church for their seat on Sunday morning. It hasn't happened in a long time. Like, and he, let's be fair, he may mean it literally. The ancient world was a much more violent place than the 21st century, thank God. But he may have just meant what his half-brother Jesus meant. When he says in Matthew chapter 5, I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. You have murdered them already in your heart. Carelessly call a brother idiot. And you might just find yourself hauled into court, thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. The simple moral fact is that words kill. An illegitimate desire that goes unmet sparks a raging frustration that gets targeted at the person that we blame for the fact that we don't have what we want. And we perpetrate violence, even verbal violence against them. The law, one commentator said, the logic of competition is elimination. James says the the reason that we have to be so aware of our desires is because illegitimate desire destroys relationship with those in the community, but more deeply still, it destroys relationship with God. Here's what he says next. End of verse two, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, it kind of sounds like what he's saying is, Uh, You wanted something, you should have just prayed about it. 
should have just prayed about it. God would have said yes. He's, he's sort of, it sounds like he's kind of alluding to, again, to what Jesus said. When, when Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Like, all, if you want something, if you have a desire in your spirit, just ask and, and God will give it to you. But that's, that's not what he means. Because he goes on to say this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James says, you, you don't have because you don't ask, but even if you had asked, you still wouldn't have because you can't ask out of selfish motivations. See, Jesus says, um, Whatever you ask for in my name will be given to you. But it turns out that that little caveat in my name really matters a lot. Jesus says, whatever you ask for, for my sake. Whatever you ask for, um, for the sake of my kingdom coming. Whatever you ask for so that my will will be done in your life, so that my will will be done in the world. Whatever you ask for that aligns with who I am and what I'm about, that will be given to you. Now, I'm just going to call a time out and say some of you have asked for things that are not selfish. And God has not given them to you. I don't think I was being selfish when I prayed that God would heal my mom from her brain cancer, and he didn't. I'm not saying that if you don't get what you want, it's because you're being selfish. I don't have an answer for why God sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. But what Jesus is saying and what James is saying, here's a guaranteed no from God. You treat God like a vending machine where you insert your prayer coins and you press the button and expect your selfish desire to pop out the bottom that God's just going to give you whatever you want. James says it doesn't work that way. But when he says, so, so he can't mean you should have just asked God and God would give it to him, give it to you. Here, here's what I think he means. I think he's saying something deeper and more profound than this. Why do our kids not ask us for things and instead sneak around behind our backs and take them? It's because they already know that we would say no. It's because they already know that, we, that what they want does not align with our heart and desire for them. They sneak around behind our back and steal stuff when we're not looking. And it indicates that our relationship with them is already broken. James is saying, when he says, you don't have because you don't ask, he's saying the pity in all of this is that your desires have you so selfishly focused on yourself that it has broken your relationship with God. You don't even pray anymore. Because you know that God does not approve of what you're doing right now. You've put yourself on a different page than God. And he goes on to say, verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James says, when, when you do that, when you choose to live out of this place of selfish desire, when you know what you want and you're going to go and get it, come hell or high water, and you don't care what it takes to achieve this desire that you're carrying around in your heart, once you've begun to live out of that place, what you've chosen is to be friends with the world and enemies with God. You have, you have pitted yourself in opposition against God's desire for your life. 
When he says friendship with the world, by the world, what he means is the way people uh, live and behave alone or in communities when they don't care what God thinks. The morals and the values that people carry around when they don't care what God thinks or when they don't want what God wants. And not just individual lives, institutions and structures. It's, it's institutional you know, racism and institutional patriarchy and, and um, institutional greed in our, you know, the capitalist system in which we live. It's all of the ways that people pursue um, stuff that is in opposition to what God wants. And James says, when you live out of that, that place in your soul that is filled with selfish desire, when that's the space you're living out of, you have actually cozied yourself up to that kind of living. In the ancient world, friendship was something more than just clicking a confirm request button on Facebook. Friendship means to identify with, to live in unity with. Plato says friendship is when people see the world the same way. You're kind of saying, I'm with them, God. Not with you. No wonder at the beginning of the verse, God refers to them as adulterous people. He doesn't mean that people throughout the community are cheating on their spouses. He doesn't mean marital unfaithfulness. He means spiritual unfaithfulness. He's tapping into this deep Jewish custom, this tradition of referring to the people of God as the bride of God and God is the divine husband and they are meant for each other and they meant to live in love with each other and they are meant to give themselves wholly and purely and single-mindedly and devotedly to the other person faithfully through all things and Throughout the Jewish writings, the prophets would say when, when God's people started pursuing things that they considered to be more important or better than God, when they took the gifts of God and they made them more important than God, what the prophets would say is you're cheating on your husband. Right? God loves you and he's waiting for you and you are, you're running around behind his back and you're cheating with all this other stuff. This is, this is what happens when you live out of that place in your soul that is filled with selfish desire. When you nurture it and allow it to grow, it rages in your soul and it spills out into your life in the form of, of broken relationships with the people you love and broken relationship with God. James says that kind of person who's living out of that space of selfish desire, that is actually the issue behind all the issues. That is not a person who should be given a voice of spiritually significant influence in the community. But here's the good news, friends. The text isn't over after that scathing condemnation, this is actually how James ends. He says, or do you think, Scripture says without reason, that God jealously longs for the spirit God has caused to dwell in us, but God gives us more grace. 
That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Here's what James says. We may go through seasons in our life where we're living through selfish desire, where we're, you know, we just know what it is that we want and come hell or high water, we're going to pursue it until we get it. And yeah, we're breaking relationship with people around us. We're creating disruption and disorder and um, disunity and division in the community with the loved ones with which we live. We're fighting and quarreling. And, and yeah, we're you know, breaking relationship with God and we're choosing friendship with the world. The word friendship, by the way, can mean to take as a lover. You know, like the way we say, oh, those two are getting friendly. Um, and we're cheating on God behind his back. But James says, but don't be fooled. God is a jealous lover. And God wants and craves what God desires more than anything else is your pure and single-minded loving devotion to him. And he will stop at nothing to get it. He will never stop loving you. He will never stop caring for you. He will never stop pursuing you until he has enticed you to give back to him the life and the spirit in its entirety that he has in love given to you, he longs for you to return to him as the one who created you and called you and came for you in the form of Jesus and rescues you and invites you into relationship. God lives with this unrelenting, unwavering, never-ending, reckless love, as we sing, that will never give up on pursuing you in fact it says his his jealousy is only surpassed by his grace the gift of his unconditional acceptance and embrace the offer of forgiveness the power to change, the strength for faithfulness, the courage to persevere in all circumstances. God gives everything you need to live your life faithfully to him. And he continually gives it. No matter where you are on the spectrum and no matter which direction you're moving, he gives you more grace. Extra grace, great grace, spacious grace, vast and intense. The grace of his presence inviting you back. It says in the Greek language, it's a present tense verb, which means God gives you grace over and over. He gives you grace continuously and persistently. It is a never failing grace. For those waiting, honestly, for those of us to respond by making ourselves humble. By returning in humility. By giving up on the proud ways which we pursue our selfish desires and create disruption and disorder and disunity and division in our lives and distance from God but in humility to give ourselves in pure, single-minded, loving devotion 
to God, to live rightly with him in love and worship and submission and service, to live rightly with ourselves, pushing aside guilt and shame and knowing that we are loved by God and by the community and therefore we must be lovable. Living rightly with each other, pushing away selfishness and conflict in order to humbly serve each other in love. Living rightly with the world, being an advocate for justice and a voice for the voices. Living rightly even with the planet itself, stewarding this home that God has given us. When we, in humility, come back And say, God, I don't want to live out of this place of selfish desire anymore. I only want to give my life, my desire to you. God's jealous love overwhelms us and his grace embraces us and he welcomes us home. And guess what happens at that exact moment? Wherever we are on the spectrum... We begin to head back in the direction of becoming the kind of people that God always dreamed that we could be. Let's pray that Jesus would do that in us. Heavenly Father, I and we have lived out of that space of selfish desire that has created conflict with the people that we love the most that has distanced us from you. But this morning, we thank you for your grace. Your arms are open. Would you give us the humility to walk away from the selfishness out of which we've been living and to run into your arms and to give ourselves purely and single-mindedly devoted in love to you. Would you do that in us today? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.